before we begin this week's episode, we would just like to let all of our listeners know that we are very grateful for your support and, of course, patience. Sometimes, life gets in the way of podcasting, resulting in us not being able to release episodes as often as we would like. But believe me, we are working on it. We would also like to give a special thanks to our wonderful patrons. The support you guys give the show is very much appreciated. And the next Valhalla Tier episode will be recorded this coming weekend and will be uploaded a few days later once editing is completed. Now on with the show. One evening, by chance, a 28-year-old mother comes into contact with two men. Two men who have together devised a dark and sinister plan, which they will put into motion that same night. At first, she doesn't notice the man following her in the dark of the night, and they soon get closer and closer, just as she is about to enter a dark and deserted underpass. This is Nordic True Crime. Johan Falkvist was born in 1990 in the city of Falun, Sweden. He was the youngest of four siblings, growing up in a very dysfunctional family. His father was a very unstable person with a mood swing that could change at the drop of a hat, from the good to the bad, with no apparent reason. This, of course, made him very unpredictable, and his family were constantly walking on eggshells, doing their best to avoid being on the receiving end of his short-fused temper. His mother did whatever she could to avoid setting off her husband, which resulted in her never standing up for her kids or sheltering them from a father who would take his fury out on his innocent children. So not only did they lose out on a much-needed loving father figure, similar could be said about their relationship with their mother. The constant pressure and stress at home had a profound effect on the children, an effect which manifested itself through Yuan's speech. He had real problems with talking, and his communication skills only really developed properly when he was around six years old. His classmates described him as being a kid who was much younger in his mind, 
than that of his actual age. For instance, when he was 13 years old, he was playing with toy cars the same way in which a toddler would play with similar toys. And sometimes he would even bring stuffed animals to school to play with. It was evident that he was severely lacking in the social skills of kids the same age as him. His classmates thought that he was odd and a bit weird, so he didn't really have any friends. In fact, he was even bullied throughout his school years. There wasn't really any physical bullying, it was more a psychological type, where he would be treated as though he was suffering from a highly infectious disease, resulting in him not being asked to take part in any group activities or gatherings. The bullying generally alternated between him being treated as though he didn't exist or through name-calling and teasing. Nobody ever came to his aid or stood up for him. He was left to his own devices to fight the bullies off on his own. Sometimes they would steal his clothes from the changing rooms during gym class and on other occasions when he was in the shower after class they would steal his sweaty gym clothes, forcing him to run after the culprits naked in front of the whole school. There were even times when he would pay his tormentor a fee, so they would just leave him alone. And on the occasions they did actually leave him be, he felt as though it was his lucky day. After leaving high school at the age of 16, Yuan applied for and was accepted into a nursing school. And it was then that the future finally seemed to look that bit brighter for him. He wasn't being bullied and he had even made some friends. He was finally part of a group. But after a while, his classmates started to feel like there was something different about Yuan. They considered him to be a bit weird in his ways and even scary. It was also around this time that he began to fantasize about hurting people, hurting them really badly, even killing them. According to Yuan, he even told his sister and father about his dark thoughts. They tried to ease his mind and calm him down, telling him that nothing good could come from worrying about it. But he began to become obsessed with the idea, and one day, he went out and bought an air rifle. During one break time at school, he hid in the yard and shot a female classmate in the head. Luckily, she only suffered mild injuries, but the fact that his thoughts had escalated to actions was very alarming. It was a worrying time for the students, but nobody could see where the shot came from, so Yuan was never caught. Maybe if he had been caught, it could have made a difference. But he wasn't, and he soon began to develop a new interest for knives and guns, further fueling his passion for violence. Yuan had by this time never had a girlfriend. His approaches were constantly rejected by females, which led to his development of a real hatred for women. He considered them to be both snobby and beneath him. However, there was one girl who he liked, a girl in his class 
who he admired to the point of obsession. But he didn't have the courage to tell her how he felt to her face, so instead he decided to write a letter to her in which he described his feelings, a letter which he slipped into her locker. Nervous and anxious, he awaited the girl's reply, hoping that his feelings would be reciprocated. But the girl didn't feel the same way about Yuan as he felt about her. And not only did she reject him, she also passed his love letter between other classmates. This made him both very angry and hurt. He decided to write another letter to the girl, which he also left in her locker for her to find. But this letter contained no declaration of love, quite the opposite. For some reason, he wrote the letter in English, and this was his exact words. I'm going to release your skin from your body. Then will I take your flesh away from your bone, and after that, I will break every bone. And at last, I'll release your head from your body. This shit, I really mean, your cock-sucking bitch. If you take this as a joke, then I'll hang you in your feet and take out your teeth one by one. I really mean this. You cannot play with me. If you still think this is a joke, then I'll take you down when you're going home someday. I'm going to rip your head off and shit down your neck. If you show this to the police, then I will hunt you down and rape the shit out of you. I'll rape you until you don't breathe anymore. The contents of the letter terrified the girl and she started crying. She showed the letter to a teacher and together they contacted the police. Yuan was eventually charged for the threats and sentenced to probation, which included 75 hours of community service work. As well as this, he was also expelled from school and had to continue his studies at home. He lost all contact with his friends and his life became even more secluded than before. He was essentially confined to his home. His siblings eventually graduated from college and university with good grades, moving out of the family home and securing well-paid jobs. But Yuan stayed put. He was unemployed and felt like he was the black sheep of the family, something that his father liked to remind him of every now and then. The years passed by, 10 years to be exact, and Yuan's brother was becoming more and more concerned for his siblings' well-being and mental state. So concerned that he convinced him to go and see a psychiatrist. During his sessions, he explained to the therapist that he wasn't feeling very good about himself when at home. He talked about the many things that happened there and how they had become a trigger for his mental state and dark thoughts, as they reminded him too much about the years of bullying he had suffered at school. He said that his father was prone to extreme mood swings and would punish Yuan for trivial things. He also explained that he had problems with controlling his anger, especially towards his sister. One time, when they had been out on a walk together, 
he suddenly became really annoyed and angry about the way she was breathing, which he considered was her being snobby. He suddenly lost control and started screaming at her. And when she argued back, he pushed her away and walked over to her parked car where he threatened to smash the window with a rock if she didn't open the door so that he could retrieve his bag from the vehicle. She told him to calm down, which she eventually did, but not before he picked up a metal pole from the ground and launched it into the woods by the side of the road. In a later police interview, you once said that he mostly took his anger out on his sister because she was the weakest and because she lived by herself. He would call her up and argue with her over the phone for the simple fact that he could. Yuan's brother came to the realization that his sibling had to leave the house before things escalated and went a step too far. So he bought a flat for Yuan in another town, convincing him that it would be better for him to move out of the family home. Since Yuan didn't have a job, his brother helped him out initially with the bills and tried to help him with different everyday routines because Yuan had never lived on his own before. It was a lot for him to take in. But he now had a newfound freedom. He could come and go as he pleased. However, after a while, his new life started to feel empty. He was very lonely, sitting by himself day after day in his new apartment. So he began to wander the streets of his new town to try and pass the time. He came across a football pitch where some younger boys were kicking a ball about. Yuan started chatting with them and soon began to hang about the pitch almost every day. Eventually, he started to get to know a few of the boys, most of which were about 14 years old. To him, they were people who he considered as his friends. However, Yuan wasn't 14 years old, like the other boys. He was almost 30. One day, he invited them up to his flat, an offer which they accepted, and with time, the flat became a place which the kids considered as a safe haven. A safe haven where Yuan would provide them with alcohol and cigarettes, and even let them spend the night if they wanted to. He finally felt like he was appreciated and that people had begun to look up to him. But even his new friends sensed that there was something different and even scary about Yuan. He had by this time acquired a large gun and knife collection, which he let the young boys handle and even play around with. Alarmingly, he often asked them how they would prefer to be murdered if they had a choice with a knife to the chest or the neck. This question creeped many of the boys out. They didn't understand why Yuan seemed to be so fascinated by death. And it wasn't long before the parents of the young boys were made aware that Yuan was providing their kids with alcohol and cigarettes. They were understandably very concerned and reported Yuan to the police. But for some reason, he was never arrested. Instead, Yuan continued to associate with the underage boys, and it wasn't long before he had a new friend. A 14-year-old boy who he met at a judo class he was taken. We have decided to refer to the boy as Tom. 
Tom came from a broken family and had endured a tough upbringing. So he quickly latched on to Yuan. Not only did they have similar backgrounds, Tom also felt that Yuan understood him better than most. They started to hang out with each other more and more and soon became close friends. They talked for hours about all sorts of subjects, just as most friends do. But they also shared their deepest, most secret of fantasies with one another. And that included their very darkest thoughts. Tom confessed to Yuan that he had always fantasized about raping someone. And Yuan admitted that he had always wanted to murder a woman. The two friends quickly realized that if they put their heads together, then they could combine their wishes and make their fantasies a reality. They soon started to plan how they would carry out their combined fantasy and who they would choose as their victim. Tom had, according to Yuan, initially said that he wanted to rape a man. But Yuan talked him out of it, claiming that it would be much easier to rape a woman, since they are weaker and easier to control. And with some persuasion, Tom eventually agreed. They didn't have a victim in mind, so instead they decided that fate would present them with the ideal woman. On the evening of the 26th of July 2018, Tom and Yuan were watching a movie at his apartment. Tom was drinking alcohol, provided of course by his friend, but Yuan didn't touch a drop, which he never did, as he wasn't a drinker. Together, they once again discussed their dark plans and soon decided that that particular evening was the night that it had to happen. They left the flat around 11.40 p.m. and hit the streets in hunt for a victim. They decided to walk to a bar on the outskirts of the city in the hope that they would come across a woman who was maybe drunk and therefore an easier target but they'd never seen anyone of the opposite sex. And this made them really upset. So instead, they vandalized the bar and the surrounding area in frustration. Tom had been drinking the whole time and suddenly became very nauseous. He decided to lay down for a while in some bushes by the side of the road, a decision which really angered Yuan. He had a go at Tom, telling him that he needed to shape up and stick to the plan. Then all of a sudden, a woman appeared further down the path. Her name was Nella, a 28-year-old mother of a toddler. That evening, she had had a few drinks and stumbled a little as she walked towards Yuan and Tom. It was then that Yuan knew that this was the one. He approached her and asked her if she could help him to get Tom to the hospital as he was very sick. But for some reason, Nella didn't want to help him out, possibly sensing that something wasn't quite right. And she continued to make her way home. Yuan tried to wake Tom up, telling him that he better get up immediately because their victim was getting away. He believed, as he did with most women, 
that Nella was snobby and needed taking down a peg or two. Tom finally woke up, but to Yuan's surprise, he told him that he no longer wanted to go through with the plan. He had changed his mind. He claimed that he wasn't sure he could do this to an innocent, random person, and he also didn't want to go to a juvenile prison. This revelation really set Yuan off. But again, through persuasion, he got Tom to stick to their original plan and told him, regardless of how he felt about what they were going to do, it was now too late for him to pull out, as he would be charged for taking part in the planning of the rape and murder. Tom agreed to follow the plan, but told Yuan that he didn't want to take any part in the murder. And with this, they began to follow the woman. However, they were attracting some unwanted attention, as many people had witnessed them walking by that evening. And there was a reason why most took notice to the two friends. They were dressed head to toe in black and were wearing balaclavas in the middle of a heat wave. Despite this peculiarity, nobody stopped them or asked them what they were up to. After finally escaping the attention of the public, Yuan managed to run ahead and take a shortcut to get in front of the woman near a dark underpass. He ran around to the back and waited for her to come out on the other side. And when she did so, he pointed a gun at her. At first, she didn't really take him seriously, believing it was a bad prank or something of that nature. But the feeling of a silly kid's prank soon left her, when he then told her to stay still and be quiet if she wanted to live. He stood there with his gun aimed at her as he waited for Tom to catch up. When he arrived, they told Nella that they all were going to have some fun together. And with this, they forced her to follow them into the tunnel. Whilst walking through the underpass, Tom and Yuan debated with each other whether they should go through with their plan inside the tunnel or on the other side of it. They were worried that the echoing sound of the tunnel would alert anyone passing by to what they were doing. So they dragged Nella to the end of the underpass and threw her down onto the gravel path. The attack would take place here. They told a now terrified Nella that if she just would let them rape her, then maybe they would spare her life. They then aggressively removed her trousers and underwear. Nella did her best to try and fight them off, but they were too strong for her. Tom sexually assaulted her whilst Yuan stood there pointing his gun at her the whole time. After the rape, they left Nella lying on the ground on her stomach, feeling humiliated and full of fear of what may come next. Yuan walked up behind her, grabbing her by her hair and pulling her head up. She pleaded with him to let her live, just like they said they would. Yuan coldly replied that he had no recollection of ever saying that, and when she saw the big knife Yuan was holding in his other hand, she began to scream. Yuan then stabbed her three times in the neck 
and then both he and Tom ran from the scene of the brutal attack, leaving Nella to bleed out from her injuries. When later asked by the police if his intentions were to kill someone that evening, he replied, Yes, I wanted to kill someone. It was a way of dealing with my aggression, an outlet, if you will. But I also wanted to know how it felt to kill someone. But when it was time to do it, I hesitated. But I killed her anyway, so I did. After fleeing the scene, they both went to Yuan's apartment. They had also left Nella's bag in the middle of the road close to the crime scene without taking anything from it. That is, except for her mobile phone. When later asked why he had taken her phone with him, Yuan said, that's what they normally do in the movies. They always take the phone from the victim. I don't know why, but that is what they always do. And I thought I would do the same. To be cool, you know? When back at the flat, they took a look at the phone. Nella had received some notifications from her messenger app, which showed that she had been chatting with someone just before she had encountered her would-be attackers. The profile picture showed a muscly, tattooed man with a shaved head. Yuan went through Nella's contact list, finding some names he recognized, people who, if it was in your best interest, you kept away from. Tom panicked and wondered why Yuan had brought the phone with him in the first place. They then wiped the device clean of their fingerprints, and Yuan threw it out of his kitchen window into some bushes on the other side of the road. At the same time, Tom was busy grabbing his belongings and told his partner in crime that he wanted to take a break from their friendship and that they probably shouldn't see each other for a while, to which Yuan agreed. At around five past five in the morning, a man was cycling to work and as he reached the underpass, he saw a purse laying on the road along with something which resembled a pair of trousers. As he came closer, it was then that he made a horrifying discovery of Nella's partially naked, bloody, lifeless body, exactly where Yuan and Tom had left her. He slammed on the brakes and rushed over to her to see if there was any signs of life, and at the same time grabbing his phone from his pocket and called the emergency services. Unbelievably, and despite suffering brutal injuries, she was still breathing. She had been lying in the same spot for hours without being able to move, slowly getting weaker and weaker, minute by minute, as blood seeped from her wounds. Although she was still breathing, sadly, she was beyond saving and passed away before the ambulance arrived. The night after the murder, Yuan walked by the scene of the crime and took a seat further down the road, opening a bottle of water. A police car drove by him, and initially, the officers thought that he was a customer from the local bar who had just had a little bit too much to drink, so they decided to stop and see if he was okay. It became clear to the officers that Yuan wasn't drunk at all, and together they chatted for a bit. 
He told them that he couldn't believe what had happened in the underpass the night before, commenting that it was terrible and that he felt sorry for the woman. The police officers agreed, obviously not realizing that they were in fact speaking to the actual killer. In the end, they told Yuan to look after himself and stay safe, to which Yuan replied that he would. But as they left, he also said, I'll see you soon. The police interpreted the farewell as most would, as something we all say without really meaning it, oblivious to the fact that there was a far more chilling reason behind what he said. The next day, he called Tom, asking him how he was feeling. He wasn't good and told Yuan that he didn't feel well. The conversation was kept short and Yuan soon hung up the phone. Later during the evening, he decided to go for a walk. He wandered around aimlessly, thinking about what he had done. Tom had told him he felt nauseous just thinking about the murder, but Yuan didn't feel a thing. He didn't even feel sorry for Nella, whose life he had so cruelly and coldly ended as if it was nothing. And that is exactly what it was to him. Nothing. Suddenly, his thoughts were interrupted by an alarm. Further down the road, the alarms of two cars broke the silence of the evening. Yuan began to get upset and had a look around to see if he could catch what he called a fucking thugs in the act, but he couldn't see anyone around. So he decided to call the police and make a report. He also waited for the patrol car to show up and chatted away with the officers before leaving and heading back home. The following day, the police arrived at Yuan's house, but it wasn't in regards to the call he made about the car alarms the previous evening. They were there to arrest him for the murder of Nella. His first impulse was to resist the arrest, but the officers saw it coming and ordered him to lie down on the ground with his hands behind his head before cuffing and detaining him. It was Tom who had broken down and confessed to his mother what they had done. After hearing her son's confession, she called the police. When Yuan was arrested, one of the first things he asked the police was if the prosecutor was a woman or not. He told them that he didn't want any females in the courtroom, never mind the prosecutor being one. When he was told that it was a man, he seemed to become more relaxed. Yuan was charged with the murder of Nella and was sentenced to life in prison. Since Tom was under 15 years at the time of the crime, he could not be tried as an adult and was therefore handed over to social services and sentenced to time in a juvenile facility. In an interview with Nella's mother, Camilla, she said, My brain knows what has happened, but I just can't take it in because it hurts so bad. The pain is excruciating and I feel it. At the time of the murder, Camilla was on holiday in Greece. When she read about a woman who was found murdered in her small hometown, she instantly got that horrible gut feeling that something bad 
had happened to her daughter. So she texted Nella, asking her to call her back. And 12 minutes later, her phone rang. But it wasn't her daughter calling. Instead, it was the police. Camilla was absolutely heartbroken. And as soon as she returned to Sweden, she went straight to the underpass where her daughter had so brutally and needlessly lost her life. She spent two whole days at the scene before finally leaving, stating that she would never return to the same spot again. Camilla wanted to meet Tom for a mediation or confrontation, which is sometimes organized by the authorities to help victims of crime come to terms with what has happened to them and to also help with the rehabilitation of criminals. She wanted to make him realize what he had done and what effect it had on Nella's family. Not only had they taken the life of her daughter, but also destroyed the lives of everyone that loved her. Sometime after the murder, on the cold, grey concrete wall of the underpass, where Nella was brutally murdered, there, in large text, can be seen the words, Karma will find them. <laughs> 